Welcome to On Target, the podcast helping software sales leaders drive more pipeline and close transformational deals. I'm your host, Alex Elaine. Let's get into it. You sometimes, especially when you come in, you get so in the weeds and so thinking about how do I just move a deal on one thing that you lose kind of focus and for long, you spend six, nine months a year at this company and you're still too in the weeds. You also got to realize that you're not going to be right 100% of the time, and that's okay. I think there's too many early managers and leaders think like, you know, I'm nervous to make a decision or I'm nervous to change the path of this company. I'm nervous about coming in and changing the leadership scope around how we're going to do these things. This company has done well to this date. You know, I'm coming in. I don't want to rock the boat. Welcome to the people that are easing their way into the room. Welcome and and great to have you here, no matter where it is that you're dialing in from. Really, really excited about today's event and uh, got two incredible guests joining me today. So super excited for what we're going to cover, mainly focusing on the power of decisive leadership. So we'll do some introductions now and then we'll get ready to dive right in. So Hopefully, you know who I am already, but Alex Elaine, former VP of sales at Braze and current host and founder of On Target. I'll pass over to, to Bill next. Yeah, Bill Rufo. Uh, thanks for having me here, Alex. Uh, I am the chief revenue officer at Upper Edge. We're a, a IT uh, consulting advisory firm focusing on negotiations. Thanks, Bill. Josh? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. My name is Josh Weissman, chief revenue officer at that's we're uh, a talent marketplace platform and uh, excited to dive in and talk all about leadership. Awesome. Thanks again for both being happy and willing to join us. And so we'll dive right into the conversation. So of course, this is all about decisive leadership, thinking about leadership principles and some of the things that surround all of that. And so th- the first question that I have is when you think about the importance of actually establishing leadership principles. What are some of the key principles that you think all leaders should adopt early on? I'd love to kick off with you, Bill, on this one. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into defining what good leadership is. I think one of the core tenets for me, at least, is quite honestly, really being a good listener and uh, flexing that muscle, that ability to hear what others are saying and talking about and expressing, whether it's feelings or whether it's you know, some specifics around a deal per se, but that fundamental ability to to listen can really set the tone for a lot of the other components that come into it. So I'd, I'd start there. Listening. Okay. Josh, what would you add? Accountability was something that had always stuck to me uh, as really important. I think it goes both ways. I think oftentimes leaders talk about, I want to hold my team accountable, and then they don't actually walk the walk themselves. And I think one of the things that I learned early on and was always frustrated by leaders is, you know, I'll do that for you, Josh, or I'll get this done by Friday for you and then crickets, right? So I think it's really important, especially as you build trust and credibility and those other things I'm sure that will come up. Accountability both ways is something crucial. We talk about kind of that principle and then really as you build these teams to make sure that people, you yourself and the teams are going to be doing that across the board. On that point of accountability, Josh, I guess one of the challenges sometimes for salespeople is that they've got a lot of different competing priorities, a lot of things to 
consider and 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 sometimes just from a guess an attitude standpoint people have mixed receptions to what accountability actually means and leaders might be slightly confused as to how they can best go about holding their team accountable uh, especially in a performance driven role without it necessarily feeling too intrusive in a way so what is some of your guidance around how you can go about holding your team accountable without it necessarily feeling too hard and heavy I mean, I think it starts with communication, right? I think that's the number one aspect, right? And when I say holding teams accountable, I don't just mean, hey, do get to this number, do this by this date or this quarter. Accountability across the board, I think it does start with communication, right? And I think when, when, I, when I talk about communication and talk about styles around that is I always really build this kind of open, honest, and direct lane of communication. I don't sugarcoat things. I always tell people when they come in and work for me, they'll, they'll never have to question how I think or what I'm thinking about them. I'm going to tell you, and obviously in a very polite way, but I'm always going to be able to tell you that. And I expect the same in return. So I really try to eliminate that gossip, that water cooler talk, or I guess in today's world, the virtual water cooler talk, and really just let's, let's, let's talk about it. So if you're feeling that way and you're feeling like you're not being set up for success with accountability, let's really dive in and talk about that. And you got to have that to Bill's point, be a listener, build trust, build credibility, be that person that people can actually feel comfortable in talking to you about even tough things, both personally and professionally. If you build that type of relationship early on, there shouldn't be this big brother. I, you know, I can never go talk to Josh. He's just a hard ass that's going to talk about accountability and do this. Let's when things aren't going well or I have other things going on in my life that maybe he doesn't know. I always try to be the one that and I'm proud of the fact when people do let me know what's going on and really talk to me about what's what's happening and challenges they're facing so that we can set the right type of goals and expectations across the board. And those things are always going to be able to move. I like that. I like that. Bill, I, I want to pivot over to you. You know, you mentioned an important principle for you is is listening which is a great call out, but I'd love to know how that's actually been helpful to you when you've had to navigate a challenging scenario or a challenging decision. How has that principle actually been helpful in your lived experience so far? Yeah, I mean, I, for sure. I, I say listening because there, there are a lot of things that stem from listening, right? And ultimately what you're doing by listening is trying to understand circumstances, right? So one of the, 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 the things that I try to do the most is, is I, I seek context and I genuinely try to do all of that before implementing any of my own beliefs about whatever the situation tends to be. So if somebody's coming to me with an issue, either on a specific deal or with another person per se, right? It's my responsibility to make sure that I understand what the issue actually is. And you have to do that through active listening rather than just me making assumptions as to what I think the issue is, because I know of some other side conversations going on. I have to generally listen to what is being told to me, because as you as you work through a deal, I had this, this happened actually this week where there was a conversation where there were misunderstandings that were in place and other people were making assumptions because they were putting their own biases on certain scenarios that were happening. And I said, okay, great. Let's, let me hear what you have to say. Let's talk about it allowed the sort of that that ability, uh, and this is why actually accountability is important, it kind of ties together is because you need to establish that trust for someone to even come to you and have an honest conversation um, because I, I don't sugarcoat anything either. And so I can't help or work the situation with or for you if I don't actually know 
sincerely what's going on in the scenario. So when it comes into practice, though, is then I can then take that completely void of, of any sort of judgment on my part and say, okay, great. Here's the lay of the land. This is how I see it. Play it back. Make sure I understand what the circumstances are. And then potentially either take action or provide scenarios in which I say, here's my advice. Here's how I would approach that. I can do this or you can do this, right? And a lot of that comes from that place of actively listening to to somebody, what they're what they're trying to tell you. I'm completely with you. I, I remember a former mentor of mine actually once saying that most people hear, but very few people listen. And sometimes it's just that difference between, as you reference it, active listening, truly making sure that you are connected to the conversation just uh, versus looking at someone's lips move and knowing that there's some words coming out. Big, big difference. So uh, just sticking with you on this, uh, Bill, I'd love to just unpack the fact that, you know, when you think about your team, you've got your own set of leadership principles in your mind. But the important part of this is how do you then start to ingrain some of those principles or actually get buy-in from your team about the way that you think about your own set of principles? Uh, What are some of the ways that you've been able to help to condition and encourage your team to be well aligned to your principles? Yeah. So I think a lot of it starts with setting and having clear actual expectations for, for what whatever we're leading towards or working towards so that, that again, those assumptions aren't made, right? It's, it needs to be very clear with what the objectives are, where the goals are, and quite honestly, getting aligned to where those goals are intending to take us, right? Uh, so sort of a shorter and longer term vision there of, of the plan. And then what I try to do, again, going back to the listening component, if somebody, if I'm, if I'm, let's say, inheriting a team of people that are used to doing something one way, and then I come in and have a different approach to that, I'll make sure that I understand what their approach is today, why they were doing it that way, and really seek to understand all the context behind that. And if I think that the the means that uh, I was trying to implement are are different for good reasons, I will demonstrate and I will show and try to encourage through example as to why the change that I'm making, I see that vision for the need, need for change. So a lot of it starts with understanding the core aspects of what's what's currently in place and then clearly articulating, here's my vision, this is the path, and these are the reasons why the actions to get there are necessary. And quite frankly, you, you need to allow too for that discourse because even if I come in and set a direction and a tone, I don't know everything, right? And so sometimes you need to allow for historical context as a reason why maybe that's not the best path forward and, and you can reiterate. But generally speaking, if, if you're very clear with the expectations and, and the logic behind what the decisions are, it at least allows for a much cleaner path to building a, a road together. Makes a ton of sense. Josh, I'd love for you to lean in on the, the same question. It sounds cliche, but you actually got to do what you say, right? So many times that people walk in and say, here's my principles, here's what I believe in, here's the things that I, I want this team or this company or this organization to do. And then you don't actually do it yourself. So I think in the end, people you ought to lead by example, which is usually another founding principle. But I think those are the types of things that are, are crucial to get buy-in across the board, buy-in for team, whether it's a new team, whether it's an existing team that you're coming into, you really got to set the foundation and they have to see the fact that this is 
helpful. And I always try to give examples early on because you could set all this foundation, these principles, this exciting for this long-term great vision. But a lot of people usually are more you know, short-sighted and thinking shorter term. You've got to show how some of these things will actually impact, actually be helpful in the shorter term for people that maybe aren't thinking about things as, as longer term as leaders are. And those are the types of examples that you want to bring up. And I always say it's it's easier to lead when things are going well. It's when things are not going well and numbers are being hit, there's challenging things across functionally, whatever it is. And that's when I expect the leaders to still stick by what they're saying and what they're doing. And if they're not, that's the type of thing that unfortunately gets people to go off of the rails, be unorganized, those type of aspects. So, you know, it's much easier when things are going well. It's when things are not is are you still living by what you're doing, what you're talking about every single day? Yeah, that that's very, very true indeed. And off the back of that, Josh, when we think about, you know, let's put ourselves in the shoes of an emerging sales leader who's stepped into a, a new role. They've now walked into a company that's got its own vision and its own mission for the business, but then they've got their own individual set of principles and perspective that they now want to bring to that organization. So how do you find that balance between actually being able to come in with your own set of principles and drive change while also needing to align with the broader company mission, which may have some variance to the individual's worldview? It starts oftentimes in the questions I ask even before I, I start a new role, right? I think that's number one is if you're going to come into a company, I ask about what those company principles are. I ask about leadership and executive team principles that the company has and truly making sure that they're aligned. Never going to be, you know, 100% aligned core to core, but if they're really far off from what I believe in or how I think decisions or how I think that's supposed to be made, that's probably your first red flag. And you don't want to discover that after you've taken a new job in a new role, you want to find that out before. So those are the types of things that I really try to uncover prior. Then once you're in, of course, things are going to change. You're not going to always be perfect. I think it's making sure that you have alignment across the executive team or a leadership team or whatever level that you're in there and coming into that you want to make sure that actually what you're bringing, you'll get buy-in from other people as well. Not just the people on your team, but are people, your peers, your manager, are they going to also believe in and appreciate and talk about what you're going to do? I think those are the types of things, right? There's no one way to lead. A company had that and was going to do that across the board. That obviously isn't a very diverse company that usually probably is not set up for success. So you want different ways of thinking about things. That's good. And you want those types of personalities to be accepted. And I can at least tell you when I have leaders that come onto my team and do the same type of practice and ask about those types of things, I think it's crucial that you're getting them and bought in and on board, right? Especially if I bring in new leaders, they have to be on board, number one, but two is like, I have to be on board with their style and their approach and getting on board with overall thinking about it in maybe a different way, which I think is another principle and leadership style that I think is really important, which is I'll never be the one that says, hey, you know what? I've been at this company five years. This is the way we do things. We're going to continue to do it this way. I think that's an approach for failure. You bring in people that have differing views and different experiences so that they can try different things to continue to improve and grow your company and grow your sales or grow whatever it may be. So you got to welcome those changes. And if they're not, that's probably the first problem. Bill, I want to um, pivot to you because it's an interesting point that Josh raised there. Just when sometimes you have that premise of you're going into a company, you've sought to do your due diligence, but 
maybe there are some tough decisions that you need to make that maybe slightly go against the grain of how things have been done before. So how do you think about balancing decisiveness while equally being flexible and and agile in trying to best align with some of the existing principles that a company might have? How do you balance that aspect of needing to be decisive at the same time? One of the ways that I try to do that and, and hold myself to the ability to even make those tough decisions is I always talk about on, on, on my teams, actually everywhere I've been, this idea of, of perspective and, and zooming out, right? Because I feel a lot of, well, it's very easy to get further into the weeds and just get closer and closer into the weeds. And every now and then you got to back up and zoom out because it can provide a guidance as to what are we doing this for? Where are we going? What What is the path here and why is it the path? And so a lot of times, sometimes difficult decisions are made more difficult because you're 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 just too narrow in that conversation or, or in the focus. And if you add a layer of context that's broader than even that individual or or the the sum of the team, it becomes contextualized and it becomes a little bit of a different talking point. And so sometimes even just doing that exercise alone can can alleviate some of the maybe the emotion or or, or the challenge that goes into making it difficult and you either align that decision towards what the objectives that everybody agreed upon and are working towards to that decision, and it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, yeah, for sure. There's always one-off scenarios where uh, you need to apply a little bit of agility to the decision-making process, and and you look at all the the logic behind what what those examples might be. But generally speaking, I think if you zoom out. And are have your decisions aligned to that common path, which by the way should be agreed upon with everybody in your org, it becomes a lot easier. Josh, I'd love to get your stance on on the same question, you know, making those sometimes challenging decisions when they're necessary, but it may sometimes lead to a little bit of a, a veer from the norm for the business. Bill is absolutely right in the standpoint that. You sometimes, especially when you come in, you get so in the weeds and so thinking about how do I just move a needle on one thing that you lose kind of focus and for long, you spend six, nine months a year at this company and you're still too in the weeds. You also got to realize that you're not going to be right 100% of the time and that's okay. I think there's too many early managers and leaders think like, you know, I'm nervous to make a decision or I'm nervous to change the path of this company. I'm ner- nervous about coming in and changing the leadership scope around how we're going to do these things. This company has done well to this date. You know, I'm coming in. I don't want to rock the boat too much. And, you know, at some point, some of those things make sense, but you're also there for a reason, right? And you've been brought in for that reason. You got to trust yourself and you got to trust that experience that you have. And if you're thinking about it the right way to Bill's point and you actually have that mindset, you're there because you probably have maybe one of the most experience with that specific task that you've been asked to do. And you got to really trust yourself and believe in it, right? And get people around you and leaders around you to also trust you and believe in you and realize it's the right path forward and might be a little different. Those are the types of things, right? The question is, how do you do that? That goes back to the same principles we've been talking about, right? Just be much more open and honest about the way that you're thinking about it. Talk about some of the challenges that you're facing. Talk about how we think about why I'm making this decision, why we're going this way, and really, you know, hold yourself accountable to it, right? And I think from there, decisions are important. You got to make decisions, 
you got to hold yourself accountable on the standpoint of making sure that you have clear metrics and understanding of how you're going to go do this, right? This is not making a decision and then let's just go see how it is. You got to make decisions and actually have leading indicators and metrics around the decision you're going to make prior to making that decision. And if it's not the right decision, you got to hopefully know pretty early on and you could always change if you need to. I'd rather make a decision and have to change it a bit than not make a decision at all and just be in limbo and the team's in limbo and struggling and not knowing the direction and we're kind of just playing, putting things up in the air. That's going to be much worse for the company than a decisive decision. There's some really powerful points in there from from both of you. It it leads me to think about hiring and actually how do we test for some of these types of attributes in candidates throughout the hiring process? We you know we've spoken about uh, effective listening. Uh, we've spoken about decisiveness. We've spoken about accountability. So, Bill, I'd love to know you know when you're in front of a candidate and and screening someone. Yeah, how do you start to test for some of these types of characteristics or value alignment to help you to ensure that you're building a team that is well calibrated around the set of values you have in mind? It's tough in in a interview type of scenario, right, where you can get people who um, sometimes lead with what they think you want to hear, right? So I often try to get hard examples of uh, real examples of scenarios that they can articulate clearly. And a lot of them, actually, I asked for failures and Josh alluded to this a little bit in, in some of the, the earlier conversation, but if you're not trying, then you're likely, like a failure is a good thing. It means that you're putting yourself out there, you're trying. And so a lot of times when I do this, I, in interview uh, settings, I, I ask for these stories of the not so good. Everyone's like, oh yeah, tell me how you closed a million dollar deal. Great. Tell me how you lost one, right? And, you know, more importantly, what did you learn from it? What did you do about it? Who did you involve in that decision and that process and that sort of postmortem and, and figure out? Uh, we all can talk about deals we win, but it's the scenarios and whether it's not deal related or otherwise, maybe it's just cultural and et cetera. If you can articulate and if you can get them to articulate a scenario like that and really show their their sincerity in the, in the answer, it's kind of really telling as to how a person might handle that on the scene or on the job. And you can, I can try to apply that same approach and philosophy to a number of different aspects, whether it's, you know, in a sales cycle itself, or whether it's culturally in an org or working with other people cross-functionally, et cetera. I try to get them to open up and tell in real life examples of all these different scenarios, because it's, it's, it's super easy to just say, Hey, well, you know, I was three X by number and I did X, Y, and Z. Sounds great. Right. That's the trickier part. Josh, I'd love to get uh, your own thoughts just from a hiring standpoint on the way you think about that. Yeah, I not to copy everything Bill said, but I completely agree. Right? There's, I don't, I. It's great to hear about the positive and what went well in, in jobs. I love to dive into things about you know some of the questions I ask is, tell me you know at a time when it's been okay to give up, right? How did you know it was time to give up? When you know I'm trying to understand how many times they try to do something. Do they try to do different strategies? Do they get help? Do they get support? Those types of things. I try to understand what could you have done better in your last job, right? Everyone says, you know, I did this, I did this, I did all these amazing things. Like, what could you have done better, right? Those are the types of things. You know, what do you see my role in your new position? You coming on board, what do you see me as your boss or your leader, or your manager? What do you see me being able to do, right? Those are the types of things. Hey, you know what, if I was to give you this crazy idea 
that you knew wouldn't work, what would you do? I asked that question and I try to understand, get in their head about how those types of things work professionally, but I also, you know, try to script line personally too, how they think about things, how they thought about maybe a time when they wanted to move, uh, you know, different to a different place or different city. Like what was their thought process? What was their strategy? How do they think about those types of things? Are they the ones that just, you know, just zero strategy and just do it? Or are they a little bit more methodical? Those are the types of questions I usually ask. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I, I love this just broader point on um, doing situational type of scenarios, right? And really understanding how does someone think, act and operate live in the field. It, it makes a huge, huge difference once you start to know and get some lived experience in that particular regard. I'll probably um, draw this down now with with one more question before we transition to the Q&A. Just want to really call out for some of the, again, emerging leaders when they're now thinking about putting together their own set of principles, uh, values as a leader to help them to make more effective decisions, what tactical advice would both of you have for that person who's like ground zero, don't even know where to start? You know, what are some of the things I could or should be thinking about to help me to start to create a set of leadership principles? Um, what are some of the ways you think can get them out of gear one to make that start of that process? We'll, we'll kick off with you on a uh, bill on that one. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having this conversation the other day and I, I, I am a big proponent of, first of all, writing things down. Uh, I write, uh, you should see my desk, it's covered with notebooks, right? But I, I think in that exact scenario, one of the things that I, I like to do is take an example, quite honestly, and then maybe this is just because of my experience, uh, um, uh, of examples of poor leadership, right? Or poor management and really test yourself as to why that was poor. Why was it poor in your in your mind? And then what would you have done differently in that scenario, right? Because what that'll probably do is flush out whether you're just angry or whether there's a, an actual core fundamental difference in approach to how you would have handled it. And I think the writing it down, it holds people in account to thinking about that as intently as possible. So I would literally encourage somebody to, to go through a couple of different scenarios. These are, let's say, a deal that they were currently working. Put yourself in the management shoes, the leadership shoes. How would you actually approach that? Would you do it any differently? If you would, outline how and why. Why would that approach be different? What's the purpose of it being different? And what would the end result, what do you hope the end result of that to be? And literally write it down and go through the exercise of challenging your own thoughts on that process, because that's that that happens a lot. And it's it's a scenario in which you're going to have to apply yourself in leadership. And it's crucial to, to just test your own thoughts on it. Nice. Thanks for that, Bill. Josh? Similar aspects. I have no problem. I think people should, number one, try to find or think about some of the leaders or managers or executives that they've worked for that they like. Number one, take the traits that obviously they feel like are important. Two is ask people. I don't think people ask me all the time, what, how did you come up with these traits? Why do you do these types of things? And I tell them some of the things that we've talked about today, right? Here are some of the core aspects that I believe in. Here's the experiences that have shaped the way that I think about it. And I think that's the way to at least start grounding yourself and getting a list of ways of here's what leaders that either my first point that I know well, that I've actually worked for that I like, or at least that are in my network or somebody that I trust, here are the principles and you know leading guidelines that they like to go after. And here's my list. Let me start narrowing this down. And I think then you actually, like we keep saying, you actually have to go do it. 
All right. I think it's, it's easy to say, here are my principles. Here's the way I think about it. But then when push comes to shove, nothing really changes. You actually got to start doing these things and it might have, might have changed, right? There's some core ones that, of course, will always be there. But you always want to modify it a little bit as you get new experiences and new changes. And that's okay. So you got to start somewhere. It's the same thing as we talked about with decision making. It's okay that you're not perfect or don't have a list of eight exact principles that you want to live for the next 50 years on. Start with a couple. Uh, and at least go from there and then make sure that those are non-negotiables and you need to add on to and modify them however you want. But at least if you're living by these every day, you're in good start. You're going to start. You know, something that I would just add is to to think about the dynamic and the type of team that, that you want to have, right? When you think of your dream team, what what is their spirit like? What are their characteristics like? What's the DNA of that team? You know, how would you guys want to operate day to day? Think of the words that come to mind when you have that vision in your head. And that gives you an initial basis to start to think about principles that could work well. You know, one of my leadership principles, for example, is to insist on the highest standards because I want to make sure that the team that I have and the team that I work with set a strong baseline for execution. So that just became one of them. And so start to also just think about what does the dream state look like and then work those things back. Now, let's transition to the Q&A segment. We've got seven questions so far and counting, and we've got about 10 minutes. So let's see what we can get through. Uh, First question is, do you have any strategies you'd recommend to inspire or motivate a team that has begun falling short of their goals? I always start by offering it to both of you. And if it goes quiet, then I'll pick one of you. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll just jump in. Uh, I think, look, it's one thing if you're just standing up there and you're just barking orders about metrics and things that need to get done and people are falling short and you're just like, nope, more, right? Or just... I don't operate that way, right? And so if somebody's falling short on one of those metrics that we talked about, I'll get dirty. I'll get in the weeds and let's unpack it together. Where are we falling short? Where do you think you're falling short? Let's take a look down to the messaging itself. You know, in sales, there's all these different levers you pull to be quote unquote successful with with whatever you're doing. Let's let's call it prospecting, right? It could be one or two or three levers. It could, you know, you you don't really know until you're actually getting in there and analyzing. And of course, measuring it against another bar, right? If if they're not performing, okay, against what? And let's take a look at the different components of what that performance or what drives that performance. Sometimes it's motivation. Sometimes it's an actual lever that's not being old. Uh, and so really getting in there and, and unpacking that. And, and like, I have a genuine desire to help everyone in my org be as successful as they can be. And I'll do it with them, right? And so that that's how I one strategy I like to implore to do that. I'm not just going to sit there and say, "Hey, these are your metrics. Get them done and report back to me." Right? Uh, so you really got to you got to be you got to be involved. You don't want to manage and, from an ivory tower. Sorry, no, Joe. No, Bill's right. I think it's, it starts with getting buy-in from the team on these metrics to begin with. Right? This is not me coming down from the hill and saying, "You got to do X, Y, and Z," and here are the metrics, and here's what you're going to do, and say good luck. Right? To Bill's point. It's, before this, I was this, the beginning of the year, the beginning of the quarter, beginning of the month, whatever it is. This is really, of course, you who has the overall numbers, has the understanding, has alignment. Of course, a lot of it's going to be part of you, but you got to get buy-in from your team. You got to get ownership from that. And hopefully they're putting their own numbers and their own spin and their own understanding and full buy-in around what these metrics are so that if things do slip, you can go back to that, right? It's not pointing fingers and saying, 
hey, you said this, you're not doing this. It's like, look, we, we both agreed to this. We both talked about how we would get there. Here, you know, where do you feel like we're falling short? You know, we talked about those types of things. Where do you think we can improve? Here are some of my thoughts. And it becomes much more of a team approach than you aren't good because you're falling behind on metrics versus buy-in from both sides. Very nice. Very nice. The next question has been directed to you, Josh. It says, could you talk about a situation you've been in where things were not going well, but sticking to the principles made a difference? It's funny. My We didn't even really necessarily start by talking about what our how we got into leadership and what this process looked like. I, the, my first two leader role, leadership roles, manager roles, one was before I got into the sports or in, into the revenue tech world. I was working as a in collegiate athletics and I was managing MBAs from Stanford. I was managing 80-year-olds, uh, retirees. I was managing 30-year-old hourly workers. And that's really the start of every single person is different. I, you got to drill into what's working. And I think that's where my principles started. To answer the question specifically, which I lead by telling that story, is because things always aren't always going to go well. I have so many times when, whether it's in sales specifically, we're, we're missing numbers, whether it's a certain metric. I can give an example of where I thought of a certain strategy or a territory process was the right way to go about it. And I think over the course of six months, working with my team, them communicating, them sharing certain things, we moved away from a territory model to more of an industry type model for segmentation. That's one example of that happening. And I think it wasn't me being too proud and saying, hey, I said territory-based, we're going to stay territory-based, we're going to live or die by this. And I also am proud of myself that that the team was very comfortable sharing, hey, I don't think this is the direction, we need to probably change this, things aren't going well, let's talk about it. So it was that collaboration, that accountability both ways, the listening to Bill's point, those are the types of things I can name countless times where that's happened. Very nice. Very nice. We'll uh, keep rattling through. Uh, hopefully we can get a couple more in. Uh, next question is, what's the one thing that catches your eye when interviewing potential new leaders? Could you give an example from your personal experience? I don't know if there's one thing. I, mean, I think there's, there's, it's complex. You know, Not every candidate's probably going to have all of them. Even me as a role as a CRO, I don't have all of them, right? Like we don't have all the answers. And I, I think if you if you know that, it's going to be helpful. Uh, I think some some things that can catch my eye right out of the gate is leadership is a role that's about more than you. And if you can articulate scenarios in which you demonstrate how you've done things for people outside of yourself in your role, like a lot of individual contributors obviously focus on hitting their goals and working their plan and doing what they need to do. But I have in a situation where I had a rep who had articulated to me several times that he's trying to get into management and wants to take that next level from individual contributor to, to sales management and proactively demonstrating a couple of different scenarios, which, which just clearly demonstrated that they were thinking about more than just their number and helping others in the team achieve. And that's just definitely one thing that, that if you can articulate it, uh, it's not the one thing, but if you can, it's a really crit critical component to leadership because it's, it's definitely not about you. Right. I'm going to move on to another question, which says decisive versus authoritative. How do you keep the balance between being open to different perspectives and making the tough decisions without crossing that line? 
Yeah, I think it's funny because I can at least explain my or what I was experiencing the first time I was having to do this. And you 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 come across that, you're right? Like, I don't want to be authoritarian. I want both sides. I want if two people are coming to me with one, two different options, you know, can we compromise? Can we meet in the middle? And oftentimes that would lead to less of a strategy and less of an understanding. And frankly, both sides being more unhappy with me than just making a clear decision. Let's get all the facts. I'll very articulately tell you why I'm going to go a certain direction with the information, but let's move forward from this meeting with an understanding that even if this wasn't your choice, if you want to go the other way on something, we at least come together and we agree this is the way we're going to move forward. Is that going to be the way forever? Maybe not. Maybe it is. But we have to move forward with this decision. And I think, unfortunately, you know, what I learned is I want to make both sides happy when, in fact, trying to do that usually has both sides more unhappy than just making a clear decision and understanding what that looks like once all the facts have been done. You don't want to play favorites. You don't want to have you make decisions without the facts. You want to make clear, decisive decisions when you have the necessary information and then obviously have the, you know, what the leading indicators to track that made the right decision going forward. That's really important thing is let's make a clear decision, not try to be too indecisive, compromise to the point of nothing working. Love it. Love it. I think that that's a, a great place to wrap. Josh and Bill, super, super, super grateful for both of your time. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I hope everyone found this helpful and um, look forward to seeing you all on the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Never miss a tactic or actionable insight by subscribing to On Target wherever you get your podcasts. And if you gain value from the show, I would love it if you could share it with a friend and give us a five-star review. See you next time.